The reading of the Scriptures from Isaiah 58, verses 13 to 14. So I invite your uh, reverent attention uh, to hearing God's Word in faith as we have it here at the very end of the 58th chapter of Isaiah. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In my own mind, there is no more compelling uh, philosophy of life uh, for the Christian than uh, question one of the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The answer the chief end of man is to glorify God. But, the th but, but think with me, if you would, upon what ends that question. To enjoy Him forever that throughout our lives we ought to develop a profound, intense, all-encompassing enjoyment of God and all that He means to us and is for us and is done for us and all that He will be for us. To enjoy God forever. Uh, it, it's a compelling philosophy because I think it overtakes the notion that our, our faith is just another fulfillment of someone else's expectations. I got a boss, I got to do the job he wants me to do. I've got a God, I've got to, I've got to do what he wants me to do. Uh, a bargain that we have to keep. Well, he did his part, I got my part to do. Or maybe even a minimalist duty, I'll get by with as little as I can. I know Christ and yet, I want to be a minimalist throughout my life. Or, perhaps even worse than all, a necessary drudgery. I've got to go to church today. Mom and Dad say I have to go to church today. Uh, again, I think the confessional standard, the Puritans, uh, turn all of that on his head, but so does the prophet Isaiah in our verses this morning. Because he is answering... Uh, a complaint that they have. They're complaining uh, to God. They're saying, Lord, we've, uh, we've uh, fasted and uh, we've done what you called us to do and yet you haven't fulfilled your part of the bargain. Uh, it's like God's a Coke machine. Put in a dollar and a quarter, you expect a Coke back. I fasted and I didn't get my Coke or Pepsi, or whatever the case might be. And so God answers their complaint with the proper use of Sabbath. Now, notice He's turned here from fasting to the Sabbath. So I really think that these external uh, manifestations of the faith are, are really just a grand figure of speech for all of the duties of the faith, where it be fasting or keeping the Sabbath, or if you will, keeping the Lord's table, or attending church. So it's just a... Uh, figure of speech, the technical word is synecdoche, part for the whole, 
Uh, he's picking out a part. It's Sabbath. But it really means everything. That in all things and service to God, in all of life we ought to richly and deeply and profoundly and intensely enjoy Him. So much so that the words of the psalmist in Psalm 10, I'm turning the phrase, but that God would be in all of our thoughts. So we're looking this morning at Sabbath uh, observance uh, and the improper practice thereof that they're engaging in. Uh, the prophet will begin with a negative, then he will turn us to uh, the positive. Uh, he follows uh, the pattern of last week. It's an if-then uh, pattern. Uh, the technical uh, words are apodosis and prodosis. He's going to give us an if statement. Uh, if you do something in this way, and then he's going to give us the then statement, uh, namely, God will spiritually bless them. So let's begin with a negative, an improper use of the observance of uh, the Sabbath. Uh, begin uh, first part of verse 13, if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. So notice uh, the importance of the negative that he enhances before them. Uh, they're seeking their good pleasure on the Sabbath. Again, uh, do we practice the external observances of the faith seeking our own pleasure? Uh, we do this on occasion, I think, when we say, well, God, I need something, so I'm going to go partake of the Lord's table, and then when I get home, maybe my cold Pepsi will be there for me. Or whatever it is that you want God to perform for you, as if He's some Santa Claus. And if, we, uh, if we're good children, uh, He will bless us with the things that we want in life. Again, that's purely what the uh, nation was doing, seeking their own good pleasure, uh, trying to give in a minimal way to God so that they will get something in return, as if that's what the faith is, uh, that God will bless us uh, materially. Uh, the word pleasure, uh, seeking your pleasure, is something you take uh, delight in that incorporates a measure of emotion. Uh, we sometimes uh, need to recover a sense of emotion in the Christian faith. It is a word that's used in Isaiah chapter 56 uh, in the fourth verse. Uh, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me, who take pleasure in me. Uh, that's the correction from seeking your own pleasure that you seek in all of the external observances of the faith. The pleasure of God, the smiles of God. Very fond uh, of Psalm 1. Uh, a measure of introduction to the entire Psalter uh, is uh, the first psalm. And we read there of the godly man. Uh, great reminder of uh, where his heart is. Uh, verse 2, his delight, his pleasure uh, is in the law of God or the word of God. So much so that he meditates upon it day and night. That it remains and abides with him throughout the day. That he thinks the thoughts of God after God. Uh, he has pleasure in the Word. Psalm 48. The psalmist speaks to us about uh, finding pleasure in the will of God. 
Psalm 119, verse 35, finding pleasure in the path, the way of God, would certainly translate to us in the study of the book of Isaiah that we find pleasure in the last great exodus to heaven, that we are moving out of the city of destruction. We have pleasure in the right path, in the way of God. Uh, there is an illustration, I think, of something of this in uh, the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, if you turn in your New Testaments, uh, you know that this is uh, the Apostle's final epistle. Second uh, Timothy, uh, chapter 3. Uh, the context begins with difficult times. Uh, why are the times going to be so difficult and so challenging and so hard in the last days? Uh, we'll look at the first phrase of verse 2. For men will be lovers of self. And then skip down to verse 4 and the final phrase. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That there's something about that our pleasure in God that we are given to, to His love. And we forsake self-love for the love of God, for the majestic instate and object of our deepest affections, namely God Himself. An infinite person of infinite delight that could swallow up all of our affections and we could never give enough in our attractiveness to Him. Uh, oh, to be attracted to God in such a way that we would uh, not be a part individually of the difficult times that the Apostle Paul describes. So in other words, uh, the nation, Isaiah chapter 58, uh, were, uh, were given over to the emotional pursuit of their own pleasure. And so Isaiah says, of course, uh, turn away from that. Turn away from seeking your own pleasure on the Sabbath. I don't know exactly how they were fulfilling that. Uh, were they going to church to get another name that they might call for an insurance contact? Uh, were they going in some way to conduct business, to meet a friend, to let someone know that they're there and that uh, you need their, their uh, business? Uh, uh, you going perhaps for, uh, to meet a special person, to attract someone in a special way. Again, all turning on yourself rather than lovers of God. In our culture, of course, I think uh, we are in uh, epidemic uh, alliance with the nation of Israel. Golf courses are packed on Sundays. You go to venues where they're teaching uh, children how to play soccer or softball. They are packed. It's incredible to me. As if they're not six days of the week to... To, uh, to train a child as to how they might, uh, I don't know, win a scholarship. But we, we do it on Sunday to the neglect of their souls. In fact, we don't even know that we are aiding and abetting the neglect of their souls. It's a constant reminder that we ought to fall anew again in love with God each and every day and find pleasure in Him. That there are times to seek the world and to go to work and to prosper in the things of the world. But God has given us special time uh, to renew our affections, our delight, uh, our courtship with the majesty of Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer in all of the world. Uh, it's a general maxim, I think, that's true in our culture that we value leisure 
and our own interests above the things of the Lord. Many, I think, are just minimalists at heart. Uh, I'll give the minimum. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, always love 95% of my mail. Uh, just like your mail. Someone's asking for your money. Uh, I, love, I love the different blocks. $25 block, $50 block, $75 block. And then, you know, life member, $1,500. I wonder how many people just... You know, the lowest end, always just sinking the minimum. Now, I don't know what the cause is. It's really irrelevant. But I'm wondering, do we treat God that way? Well, his first block is $15. I'll just check that one and be about my business. Give him the minimum. When God does the maximum for us in the gift of the Son. It's a reminder. A reminder that we are losing sometimes the beauty, the beauty and the love of God. All that he means to us. Remember one day I was in Alaska with a gentleman who do not, did not know the Savior. Uh, we, uh, we were rounding a corner. Uh, and he said, Phil, there, there's my church. It was some beautiful mountains, bald eagles flying over a beautiful bay, staggering appearance. That was his church. He worshipped the physical creation. You know, my friend, there are many, many beautiful places in the United States of America and all over the world for that matter. But none of them hold a candle to eternity. None of them can capture but the barest essence of the Garden of Eden and what it meant to walk with the living God and to take delight in Him and His Word and His way and all of His promises. Uh, but we, we think that we can worship God and that we can describe the church and describe our worship and He'll be okay with it. And we've forgotten at the court, the majesty of God and to go and to be in love with Him because of His love for us. Uh, and so, uh, the prophet is saying, uh, you're doing the Sabbath in a wrong way. Uh, let's turn from the, from the negative uh, to the positive. Uh, again, verse 13, latter part of the verse, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor it, desist, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure. So now he's telling them the positive that they should do, the way that they should approach it. Perhaps it's a way that you should approach coming to church on Sunday, or partaking of the Lord's table, or meeting for prayer, or perhaps your own private devotions. Maybe, maybe this is the way to approach these majestic times when we give attention to the majesty of the Word of God and all that it means to us. Uh, we begin with the Sabbath as a delight. The word delight speaks to pleasure and enjoyment. We don't think in those terms. The Puritans did. We ought to enjoy God forever. That we are swallowed up by the infinite love of God that uh, is about us from beginning to end, from heights to depth, God's eternal, infinite love that breaks upon us. Enjoy it. Seek the pleasure of it. Uh, this this uh, word delight uh, comes from a verb that is to be soft and delicate. Uh, sometimes we enjoy soft and delicate foods or uh, delicate clothing. Uh, 
Uh, there's something about that that we find delight in who God is and all that He is for us and all that He's done and all that He will do. Uh, there's an extreme uh, form of this uh, used in the Song of Solomon uh, that speaks, I think, of this majestic way that we ought to uh, fall in love with God. Uh, chapter 7 in the 6th verse, Oh, how beautiful and how delightful you are, my love with all of your charms. Uh, of course, there's an argument over here as to is that break upon the love of man for a woman and the love of Christ for the church. Irrespective, it's a way we ought to look at God. How beautiful is God? How beautiful and majestic is the Savior? Now, with all of His charms for us, that ought to be our chief and every delight, uh, so that we turn away from the ugly things and sinfulness of the world uh, in light of Him who ought to attract us in a new way every, every day and stoke our pleasures uh, for Him who is altogether lovely. Uh, means that the coming to church on a Sunday ought to be a pleasurable event we ought to find enjoyment and learning about how God loves us and all that He's done for us. Uh, we see this. Uh, we see this in the phrase of Isaiah 58 that it is a day holy to the Lord, set apart for God, that we desire to participate. For God is there. God is there. Uh, meets with His people. Uh, the majestic event of all time. God comes. His church uh, meets with His people. So many of the uh, psalmists uh, speak in the language that uh, the psalmist has been removed from uh, going to Jerusalem, going to the place where God localized His presence, the tabernacle of the temple, uh, the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, the psalmist, for some reason, uh, has been driven away from the city. Let's look at a couple of ways that he, he speaks of what that means to him. Uh, the first, Psalm 42, the first verse is, A deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? Think of those words next Sunday morning when you get up. What might occur when you go to church? That we live in a dry and thirsty land that's incredible in its uh, causticness to the Christian faith. And so we ought to awaken and our souls ought to pant for God. Again, we give too much to the physical. My friend, let me tell you something about life. We are very, very little physical. We are everything in that we have a soul and that our soul will live forever. And our soul ought to break and feed and pant and hunger and thirst for the living God. The soul is with you forever. The body will fail. Again, another text. Psalm 84, uh, verse 10. Uh, remember, a couple of months ago, I took my wife on celebration anniversary. and I had to walk through a gambling parlor to get to a restaurant. It was one of the most profoundly depressing experiences I've ever had. Smoke-filled room, 
people like they were automatons pulling on arms to get something. It was just depressing. Uh, and yet, you drive by their parking lots on a Sunday night, let me tell you something, they're full, they're packed. Coming out of Dallas one time, I thought, what, what's the traffic slowing down for? Again, to get to a casino on a Sunday night. Psalm 84 and verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That one day would be better than a thousand. Again, we ought to recultivate our view and understanding of the places and events that God meets with His people in Word and in church. When I was in the Army Reserve, I had a friend of mine that uh, for a season was a candy salesman. Candy salesman? What do you have to do to sell candy? I mean, you just kind of set it out there, don't you? box of Hershey's? I mean, you don't have to sell that. People rip into it, tear off the cellophane, and get to it as quick as they can. I said, no, but our sausage is not that way. I work for the Hershey Company. I've got to go. I've got to sell the boxes. So I go to the store owner. I put the box of Hershey chocolate bars in front of him. I tear it open. I get one out. Then he goes through this ritual. I, I wish I could recapitulate it for you. He slowly unwraps part of it. And his face has this aura coming over it that I can't wait to get at it. And then, and then he takes it and he he, he takes the first bite and utter pleasure breaks upon him. I mean, I was so hungry, I wanted to grab it out of his hand, but there was nothing there. He was just giving me a demonstration. Oh, that we would approach the majesty of going to church, of praying with God's people, as if we were savoring the greatest and softest delicacy that tantalizes everything about our lives. For such is the majesty of God, the sheer pleasure of the infinite greatness of the love of an eternal God who loves us eternally and effectually and without end. Greater than all the s'mores you could ever, ever eat or enjoy. The reminder, Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord saves and redeems and dispatches His Spirit to lead us and to guide us to the eternal end of everlasting glory. Uh, that day in which we will experience everlasting and envelopment of the love of God when we enter on that great day. Thirdly, uh, Isaiah tells us that we're to, we're, to honor, we're to honor the Sabbath or honor the Lord's table or honor corporate times of prayer, or perhaps even those times of private devotions. The word for honor is, uh, you may or may not know, is literally from the word which is to be heavy. Uh, weighty in the sense of, of uh, something of value. That there is a difference between picking up aluminum and picking up gold. Uh, and the weight, of course, speaks to the value of an ounce of gold over an ounce of aluminum. Uh, that we ought to see honor uh, and value in the things of God. That one of the reasons, I think, that we short shrift so many of the physical observances of the faith is we see so little value 
And it should be exactly the opposite, that we should value and esteem and treasure all that God has done for us. And that the Word speaks to us about what to value it and hold it dear, hold it close. I mean, those great parables that our Lord gives to us of a woman who loses her pearl and she turns the house upside down to find it, to recover it. Oh, that we would thirst after the things of God because of their value and treasure them in our hearts. For they will see us to the end. And we will be kept for the end by the value in which we esteem the majesty of God. Uh, something of these words uh, come together for us uh, as we esteem the day. In the words of, of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 and verse 17. Uh, speaking, of course, to the rich, but notice, uh, notice how uh, the text concludes uh, that we ought to concentrate fix our hope on the certainty of God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. To enjoy. To enjoy, of course, the physical measures of creation, but even more so to enjoy Him. Enjoyment and pleasure, part of our faith, ought to rivet us with the external observances of the things of God. Isaiah continues, uh, we're to do these things so they won't seek our own pleasure, uh, our own ways, uh, and our own words. Uh, that we set aside a measure of the time that God tells us to set aside to forsake our chatter for the Word of God. Uh, again, there's a sense that we display self for the enjoyment of the Lord. Uh, it's captured for us in my own mind, I think, beautifully some of the great hymns of the church. Uh, the great hymn, Be Thou My Vision, there's this line, Thou and Thou only, first in my heart, High King of Heaven, my treasure, Thou art. That line ought to capture us each and every day that God is our treasure. He captures our heart uh, because of the majesty that He is for us and His provision and the love of God in Jesus Christ. High King of Heaven, my treasure thou art. How could you not come? How could you not awaken upon a Sunday morning and set aside the time, prepare your heart, get on your game face for what is about to occur? Because the High King of Heaven comes and meets with His people. Bach's great hymn, Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring, the original German lyrics have, Well for me, that I have Jesus. Oh, how strong I hold to Him. That church strengthens the vision and the hold upon Christ until the time in which He will come and either gather our spirits into His eternal presence or He comes physically to claim the bodies of all of His church. And He, my friends, will hold us forever in everlasting, eternal, unmitigated love in Jesus Christ. How could we not come? How could we not hear? How could we not pleasure in His Word and seek His way and hold it the greatest of value? All of it's a foretaste of eternity. I 
Occasionally I uh, either get in the mail or see these messages when I get on the computer, you know, all these advertisements come up. I was quite intrigued uh, uh, this week because I got two such messages. Uh, the first was uh, the top 10 bed and breakfast in America. Oh, okay. I like to go places. Well, I started clicking on it. The top 10. What's in your bucket list? You know, maybe it ought to just be that well for us that we have the promise of heaven. That he surpasses the top 10. He's greater than the top 10. That of all the things that are to be valued in life, Christ is first and foremost. He is a pleasure. He's a destination. He's a joy. He's the object of our belief. Well for me, Bach says, that I have Jesus. So I get another one. Top 10 hotels to visit. I've always wanted to go to the Savoy in London. Take my wife to high tea. Probably never get there. But you think about it. We have the sum and the substance, the epitome from beginning to end, the greatest of all possible instates in all of life in the provision of God, who is about, even in this day and in this time, restoring us and getting us ready for the greatness and the grandeur of a renewed creation and a new garden of Eden, the likes of which we ought to hunger and thirst for each and every day for all that it means. Well for me that we have everything in Him, chief of delights, the person of His Son. As, as an aside, uh, it's my own conviction that uh, the Sabbath ordinance is a creation ordinance. Uh, God rested upon the seventh day. Uh, in my view, that ordinance continues on in the life of the church. Uh, changed, of course, to the first day of the week in the practice of, of the church. Uh, we know that the extended Old Covenant practice of the sabbatical calendar and pilgrim feasts were fulfilled in Christ. So that we don't need to mess with any of those. But we do, of course, keep the creation ordinance as we meet with God when He meets with us uh, in His Word and in His sacrament. Uh, we know, for example, uh, of the things that were practiced uh, in that first day of the week. Acts chapter 2, in verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. That there the majesty of God is encountered. Uh, that He comes ought to be our chief desire. That one day with this is greater than a thousand days and all of the tents of the pleasures of the world that will all come to an end. And that we will be elevated in the majesty of pleasures when we see Him as He has made us and we who will be as He is because of Jesus Christ our Redeemer. Uh, so, these are the if statements. If you do these things, find pleasure in the Lord honors His day, honor times of prayer, uh, see value in the Lord's table, fellowship of the saints, the teachings of the apostles. Uh, we 
we thirst and hunger after these things, uh, what happens? Well, the then statement begins in verse, verse 14. Then you will, then you will take delight in the Lord. Uh, something of an irony here. We give up physical things, the pleasures of this earth, and, and, and God delights us with the pleasures of Himself. And, and of course, God blesses us spiritually. Uh, there's another way to translate this. You will take delight in the Lord, and that is that He will make your heart merry. The merriment of all that we have in the eternal God. The enjoyment of it all stokes the heart. Secondly, you will ride on the heights of the earth. It's an interesting figure of speech. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 32, 13th verse. Something of an illustration here of... of uh, of what this may mean. Deuteronomy 32, the 13th verse. And he made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field. And he made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. Uh, the provision of God is he, if you look at the context, he's, he's carrying his children as the wings of an eagle to provide for them in the land of milk and honey. It's the grand vista. Generally, uh, when you go to the high places, you can see the, the best of the land. Uh, you go to Colorado. You want to go to Pikes Peak because the grand vista that you can see. Uh, Oklahoma, you go to Mount Scott. But nonetheless, it's an incredible vista to go up that small little hill, to see the majesty of the plains. That God has a way of taking us to the high places that we can see the greatness of His provision. I'm sure you all have heard or read or seen the stories of astronauts. They're crossing, they get to the Korean Peninsula. South Korea, they see light. You know what they see when they look at North Korea at night? Blackness. People are too poor to have lights. All of the lights are turned off because of the poverty of the land. That's a picture of the world. That there's seemingly a measure of physical wealth, but it's really blackness and darkness. It's like North Korea at night. But the majesty of the Word of God that is eternal light is what we behold in the Word and we hear about and learn about when we go to church. And we are reminded that God has eternal light and love for us throughout all of eternity. Reminded every time I drive across the plains of uh, western Kansas. There's, there's great beauty there, but my friend, there's something about getting into Colorado when you behold the Rockies. You just say, wow. You've got to be kidding me. I love western Kansas. But the majesty of the mountains that God created, the majesty of the high places that He has for us in everlasting life, it's a wow factor that we need to incorporate every day of our life. Because for the Christian, the best is yet to come. 
We ought to enjoy it and take pleasure in it and delight in it and ask God in His grace to help us by His power to wait and to wait and to keep waiting for all that it is for us. Deuteronomy chapter 32, again, verse 49. God tells Moses, go up to the mountain, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. He catches a a glimpse of the grand vista of the land of milk and honey. And that's all he's going to get. You and I catch a grand vista in the Scriptures of the majesty of God, of the height and the depth and the width of that which is eternal so that we hunger for more. And we understand what it means when the psalmist writes, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee. Oh God, my soul hungers and thirsts for righteousness because of what it means and what God has for us. In the words of the Apostle Paul, eye has not seen or ear heard what God has for those who love him. But it reminds us and quickens us to continue the journey to be faithful, to be faithful. Uh, Revelation chapter 21. Reminder of the grand vista. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. That we ought to understand that God gives us a glimpse of eternity to keep us hungering and thirsting the right path, the right way of valuing God and holding fast to Christ who holds to us. Uh, Revelation 22, and verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now imagine what that means in our culture while health care seemingly is everything. That God has provision for us. He will heal everything. He will totally and absolutely and irrevocably and immutably reverse the curse so that every sickness will be totally healed. I love the phrase in the book of the Revelation, He will dry every tear from our eyes. Man, that's something to give your heart to. My friend, that is something worth pursuing. That is something of beholding. The majesty of God in Jesus Christ If you're like me, you've shed a few tears in your life. If you're like me, you've awakened in the middle of the night with uh, anxious thoughts, uh, sweating, wondering, was that a dream or is it? No, it's true. And you're thinking, oh God, hasten that day. Oh God, may it come. Oh God, it will come. And may my heart pant for it, uh, knowing that it will come. But give me my delight on this day that I might enjoy the pleasures of what it means to behold and to have and to know the living God who came down out of heaven in His Son to purchase, to own, and to redeem me and to cause my heart to thirst for Him. Uh, that Again, these are the things uh, that uh, ought to give us pleasure when we come to church, we partake of the sacraments. We pray and we confess and we sing. And even in our times of private devotions, our instruction of our children to remind them There is greater pleasures in life than winning the World Cup. There is far, far more enjoyment in the Lord 
than the Sooners or the Cowboys winning the championship. That our hearts ought to beat for that which is eternal. And that is who God is. And that is what He has for us. My friend, this top ten restaurants, these top ten uh, hotels all over the world, chump change. Heaven. Oh, to be with God. Oh, to know Him. Oh, to thirst for Him. Have Him wipe away our every tear. The leaves of His great tree healing us from every aspect of the curse. Oh, to see our loved ones again. What a joy. What a delight. What a pleasure. Uh, it's these things that we catch a vista of when we have a high view of church, the sacraments, the fellowship, the prayers, the hymns that they feed and they provoke the soul. And they make us, they make us want for more. Uh, that here is simply an appetizer. Uh, that God is the full meal in eternity. Uh, may He come quickly. May He come quickly. It's here that we taste His goodness, behold the wonderment, and are gripped by the enthrallment of everything that grace means to us in the goodness of our God. Well, perhaps, perhaps there ought to be something a little different next Sunday morning when we awaken for church. Now, perhaps may we, may we uh, envision uh, taking the train uh, up the Rockies to catch the greater view, to catch just a measure of what heaven will look like and what it will be. Perhaps that there's something in the Word that will charge our hearts to beat faster, to beat with greater enjoyment. Oh, to have Jesus. Oh, to have Jesus hold me, to see me to the end. I would trust and pray that a measure of our own experience, Grace Bible Church, might encompass some of these things. And... And may God richly bless uh, the Sabbaths to come uh, that we might, in His good grace, uh, want for more, uh, knowing that uh, the more is something that we could never even imagine the pleasures, the enthrallment, the enjoyment. Uh, but may our, our steps quicken and may He come soon. And may in the now time our pleasures be excited for all that He is for us in Jesus Christ. And may God bless us with finding a renewed pleasure in the things of God and for the fullness of the enjoyment to know God, to be in His courts, and that our hearts would beat for Him. Amen.